You're listening to a podcast of Bridge to Life Ministries from their Couples Getaway 2021, Putting on the Armor of God in Your Marriage. The final session is today. It's titled, How to Be Victorious in Spiritual Warfare. President Don Smith of Bridge to Life Ministries and his wife Becky, co-founders of the ministry, are your teachers. Okay, um, so this morning we're going into our last session. You're recording this, right, Rick? Okay, thanks. I meant to ask him earlier, but I kept forgetting. So, um, But uh, we're to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand, uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes. And uh, I, I hope that we begin to think that way. I'm, I'm not expecting myself nor you to say, boom, we're going to, we got this together and we figured it out. Uh, but I, I think it's something we grow into. It's something we begin to experience more and more. But hopefully we have a knowledge, a basis, a foundation to begin to start looking at things differently and, and to put on the armor of God. And we'll, we're going to look at this morning practical ways uh, on how to be victorious in the spiritual warfare. So what I did is in some of the reading, I just, uh, things that popped out to me that I felt like, and that speaks to me, are things that I've just experienced over the years uh, that have meant something to me. I, I kind of put it together. Um, there, there's, I don't know if um, any of you have muscos for meals, um, but uh, one of our meals occasionally is muscos. And you say, what is that? And it's everything that must go that's in the refrigerator. <laughs> and so uh, it's kind of just throwing everything together here. And so that's what we're kind of doing uh, with this uh, session here. But um, we'll, we'll just walk through it here. So turn with me uh, on page 29. And uh, for, I think the most important part or uh, the starter point is... Um, we are already victorious in Christ. Uh, it's not a battle that somehow, man, I, I hope we can win this, and I don't know, we're going to be defeated. We've already been, been proclaimed victorious and seated at the right hand of, of, uh, with Christ there. And so um, the enemy has been overcome. You see the verse in Revelations. And the devil who uh, deceived them was thrown into the lake of the burning sulfur, where the beasts and the false prophets had been thrown. They were tormented day and night forever and ever. So we know his doom. Um, you know, it, it seems like Satan is winning now as we look at the, everything around us. But um, Satan's going to go out with a bang. But uh, it's going to backfire on him. But he's doing all he can, and we know that that will happen. Um, but um, those that are born again, uh, born of God, have overcome. We are victorious. And I, I think that's why it's important to know our relationship with God. Are we truly born again? Do we have a personal relationship with him? It's not based on, I hope so, I think so, or as I hear sometimes in counseling, uh, I, I asked a couple here, I don't know, it was the last couple months, just tell me about your, because um, your, your, I, I leave it kind of vague and open. I want to see where they go. If I say, you know, uh, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? I would say 99% will say, oh, yeah. 
but what does that mean? And so I'll just say, tell me about your spiritual journey. And they said something like this. Well, we, we try to go to church as much as possible. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard, but, uh, and we pray. And that was it. Anything else? Can you tell me anything else about what that means to you? Well, you know, no, that's about it for us. Well, I come to the conclusion, I didn't say this to him, but I don't think you're born again. Because you're, you're aware of something that's going on inside and, and what that relationship with Christ means. And, and so my prayer is, um, just as we go through this weekend, it, it stirs up something in you uh, to just say, is what I believe really real? And if so, um, it has to change my life. It has to change my thinking. And, and I, I have to be involved in the battle here. But... Um, our flesh has already been defeated, um, as it says in Romans there. But let me go on to the next point. When we failed, what happens when we fail to put on the armor? We can sit here and talk about putting on our armor, but the truth is we've all failed putting on our armor. I have failed miserably. As I study it more, I just think, man, I've done so much in the flesh. I've done so much like trying harder uh, you know, getting it together, or uh, it, it's just been me. Um, and I think some of it comes from feelings of incompetency. I got to show myself in, uh, competent because I feel incompetent. I got to have my act together and I got to hopefully present things well and uh, be well organized, uh, do things right for Bridge to Life and such. Because what will people think of Breach to Life? So we, we try to put our, but, but I wonder sometimes, and I don't think there's anything wrong doing that, but it's, is, it, is it more about me than the power of God working through uh, these things? And I, I think self often gets in the way uh, of our motives. So um, just look at the points there. The truth is we have all failed many times to put on the armor of God. And uh, the question is maybe why is that? And I think one is um, we get busy and we pursue our own interests, our own things. Life is busy. Um, I, I think COVID has really changed our lifestyles and, and either we've become kind of confused and out of sorts or else we've gotten more involved in other things. Um, but I, I would say... Um, It's easy to get distracted and um, not really focus on some of the important things here. So when we struggle or are tempted, uh, when, when, the when the struggles or temptations sneak up on us, we try to fight it on our own strength. And uh, I, I hope we begin to think, I have resources, I have armor to put on. Um, this morning, um, Beck and I were... Um, there, there's a, it's called Right Now Media. How many of you are familiar with Right Now? Okay, uh, good. Um, there, if you have Right Now Media, which is a, a service um, that you can subscribe to, and I'll tell you how in, in a moment, um, but they have thousands of Christian resources, uh, clips, messages, things for kids, finances, marriage. Bible studies. Bible studies and, and so on, on there. 
And so just for the, I don't know, we didn't think about it. Becky just kind of put in their armor of God and it uh, brought up uh, Tony Evans. And so we, uh, early this morning, getting ready, we listened to him. Very uh, interesting. I love Tony Evans to start with, but, um, but uh, we learned a few things this morning. I thought, Becky said, we should have been listening to this earlier. But, um, but one of the things he, oh, so let me tell you how you can get it. If you would like to be subscribed to uh, Right Now Media, one, it's free for you. Give us your email, send us an email or note, and just say, because you have to be invited. We send you an email that will invite you. You click it and accept, and you're, you're in. It doesn't cost you anything, but you have to be invited to, to join. So let us know you're interested, and we will uh, Some of them send it's you like the, link. the Christian Netflix, so it's got everything from kids to, you know, for, for kids too, but also adults and women and men. So... What Tony shared, which was really uh, amusing to me, is he said, and, and I, I, I didn't listen with intent of sharing this with you, but, um, but he said there, there was this bodybuilder who went to this uh, kind of a native village, uh, where was it, Africa or someplace? Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes there and he's a bodybuilder and he's showing off his muscles and uh, in and the, the chief of the village says, I never knew a man had so many muscles, you know, and he's showing them off. And, and um, he, so he's a professional bodybuilder. And the, and the chief asks him, uh, so what do you use those muscles for? Besides bodybuilding. Besides bodybuilding, showing them off. And he says, nothing, that's it. And, and, and the chief said, what a waste. Uh, and I know uh, about two years ago, I was counseling a couple, and he was a professional bodybuilder. He travels around the U.S. doing competition stuff, and he just sits there in the counseling chair, and his muscles just bulge, you know. <laughs> and uh, mine bulged right here. But, uh, but you know, it, it's intimidating, but, man, you know, and he did flex it for me. It's like, wow. Um, but... What do you do with them? You, you should be putting them to work, is what I'm saying. And, and I think the same thing is true with the armor of God, is we have it, but we don't use it for anything. And it kind of looks nice, maybe, or sounds nice. We talk about it, but do we really put it to use? So um, looking at the notes on page 30 there, um, I, I think we need to step out from under um, our uh, Lord, step out uh, from under the Lord's strength, and uh, we are overcome by uh, temp temptation. I think I said that wrong, but the idea is we need to step out in God's strength uh, so we can confront temptation there. Um, I, I, so here's, here's my thing is, what are things that we have failed at? Uh, we lie instead of tell the truth. We harbor bitterness instead of forgiving. And I, I wrote a note in my notes here is that I'm willing to bet, not that I bet, but um, that there are some of us here who came holding some real grudges and some real hurts. And probably nothing has been said or nothing that is really addressed, like what your deep hurt is, because we can't handle it, cover everything. And you're going to leave still bitter or still resentful, or still with your walls up. 
And here's my fear. According to what we studied, that leaves a foothold for Satan. My prayer is, as I prayed this morning, Lord, don't let anyone leave here without a commitment to say, I am going to release that. Well, they haven't done their part. It doesn't matter what they do. It matters what you do. And it's... If you don't let go of the bitterness or the, the, that inner struggle that you have, resentment toward your spouse, um, you're poisoning yourself. It's not hurting the other person as much as it's hurting you. And, and so I would just say, don't, don't leave here today and let's make a command. Lord, uh, I, I'm going to let go of that. Or Lord, help me learn how to let go of it. Maybe you can't do it right now, but I'm going to find a way. I'm committed to doing that. Just don't get by anymore. Uh, we slander instead of pursuing peace. We justify sin instead of repenting of it. We indulge, in, uh, our, indulge our lust instead of loving God, and we grieve the Holy Spirit. So there's things that we do that are not right that we, we need to acknowledge and take ownership of. But I want to talk about Peter for just a moment. He failed miserably because we all fail. But, um, so let me just uh, share what I wrote here. But Satan loves to defeat us when we fail. Uh, I know when I fail, it's just like, I want to beat myself up and I should have done this, I should have done that and I'll do better next time. And Peter swore that he would never turn his back on Jesus and deny him. And remember he does. When the testing came, he denied knowing Jesus three times. Satan would love, have loved to use Satan's disloyalty Peter's, as, Peter's or Peter's, excuse me, disloyalty as a means of shaming him and making he, uh, Peter ineffective for the kingdom of God. But Peter chose not to be defined by his failure. Rather, Peter spoke boldly of Christ and risked his life to further the gospel. In fact, history says that he was hung upside down. He says, I'm not worthy when he was being uh, crucified. Uh, Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as Christ was. Uh, hang me upside down, which they did. And, uh, but here's someone who, you know, we would say, we haven't done anything so bad as deny Christ. Um, but however we've failed, I think Satan loves to use that in a way to just say, I'm no good, I'm not worth anything, I can't do anything. And so my question is, where have you gotten stuck where you just feel like you can't be used anymore? I'll tell you what, that's not of God. It's a Satan. I also thought about all this political correctness and whatever, I, I don't even understand all the terms going around anymore. But it's interesting to me, in our culture right now, if someone makes a mistake, we're out to crucify them. We're gonna make sure they lose their job, we're gonna make sure they don't get on social media, we're gonna make sure all kinds of things, okay? What struck me in the study here, if King David were to stand up against the scrutiny that there's going on today, he'd be banned from everything. He'd be impeached. He would be um, not on social media, Psalms, whatever. I don't know how that works. But my point is, um, 
He wouldn't have been called a man after God's own heart. There was something different. He fails, but he gets his heart right with God. In Psalms 151, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. And, and he always came back. He didn't care about what other people thought. He, he cared about what God thought. And my point is, I, I think we're so concerned about judging people and being judged and that we forget about, am I pleasing to God? And so uh, what I'm just saying, don't let Satan hold you in bondage because we fail. Uh, if anything, if a brother or sister in Christ fails, we should come around them. How can I help restore you? How can I love you? Instead of judge and say, oh, you did this and that. Um, we all fail. I think, uh, you know, we're not going to do this, but I think if we were to go around and say, tell us the one or two biggest failures in your life, um, I don't think we'd want to do that, and I think we would struggle with shame incredibly. And my point is, rather we should come and love you all the more instead of shaming so um, um, the next point here is learning to fight the, um, I'm, I'm behind here, learning to fight the, the battles. Uh, so I kind of broke it down in a, a couple areas here. One is learn to love and hate. Uh, so that sounds interesting, and here's what we mean by that. One is learn to love what God loves. The more I know him, the more I'm going to love righteousness. I'm going to love what he uh, considers valuable. Um, and then we need to learn to hate the things that are against God that God hates. And I think a lot of times we go back and forth and um, we love the things of the world and, and uh, we really get influenced wrong. But most of all, this verse has always convicted me. Uh, it, it says um, we are to hate lukewarmness. And in Revelation, it says this. He says, I know your deeds, and you are neither hot or cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And, and I would say generally, I think it's easy to be lukewarm, where we just get by we're not really convicted about anything. We're really not passionate about anything. We're not really, I'm not for a religious fanatic. I'm just simply saying it's genuine. I'm going to live this out versus, um, yeah, we don't hate God. We just, we're lukewarm. So my, my comment here is, are you lukewarm? And it's very clear that God says, you know, I don't, I don't care for you being lukewarm. Um, we, can't, we can't settle for lukewarm. Hey, um, we need to hate the tears. Um, or what, we need to hate what tears our marriage apart. So my question is, what tears your marriage apart? What is it that you struggle with? How you trigger each other? Some of the attitudes, some of the things that have happened in the past. Do you still hang on to those in a way that's still tearing your marriage apart? And I think, is that what God would want us to do? And I think there comes a point, if I can say it this way, we need to bury the hatchet because I don't want Satan to grab a hold of the hatchet. 
And so I just need to say, Lord, I need to commit this to you. I need to give this to you because I don't want Satan to use it anymore. Um, my hope and prayer is that for some of you who need it, you're going to leave here with a fresh start and just say, we're taking off the old. We're going to put on the armor. We're going to, uh, this is a fresh start for our marriage. Um, I, I didn't share this last uh, comment last time, and I was a couple of people hollered at me for missing it. But uh, we must hate divorce. And by that, I, I simply mean, you might say, well, we hate divorce. But my experience is this, is we still bring it up in our marriage, either verbally or mentally, in the sense of, I'm surprised how couples will often say, you know what, if you do that again, or this or that, I'm divorcing you. It's, it's like we throw the word out. Maybe we don't think we will follow through on it. But the more you plant the seed, the more it takes root. And um, my, my conviction is take the word divorce or anything that means something like that out of your vocabulary. And you might just ask each other, is there anything that we say in our marriage that somehow suggests ending our marriage or not putting up with each other or I'm out of here or something like that? There, there was a couple the other day. <clears throat> The wife says, I can't take it anymore, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't want to be around you anymore. And, and he took that as if she was leaving the marriage. Um, truthfully, uh, he, was, he was thinking about getting away for a few days. So, you know, it was, it could, um, but anyhow, he was, he was fed up. And it, it was taken as if the marriage was ending, and so the spouse began to make plans for divorce, which then made things worse. Um, but my point is, there, there are just subtle messages that we can send. And so I would just simply say, I'm not going to have anything in our marriage vocabulary that does that. Um, learn, to, uh, learn to lose. <clears throat> so what do we need to learn to use, lose? Uh, lose our pride. It's not about me. I think we're incredibly selfish. It's got, I, you know, I got, it's got to be my way. Or maybe, maybe even it's hard for us to say, I'm sorry. Once in a while, I run across a couple where um, the ones, let's say the husband says, my wife has never said she's sorry. Um, and, and she'll look at me and kind of smirk or smile like, um, so what? And, and it's like, it's like a cat with, got caught with the mouse or the bird or whatever. But um, anyhow, you know, you're guilty, but I'm not going to admit it. Um, it's, our pride just gets in the way where we can't humble ourselves to say, I was wrong, would you forgive me? Um, we need to lose our selfishness, kind of along the same line. I, I like this verse in Second Corinthians. If I, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness instead of making about me and showing off uh, my stuff, uh, how good I am, or trying to use Becky to build me up and such. It's like, no, it's... Here's my weaknesses. Here's what I'm going to focus on. Um, 
because that's where I need Christ the most instead of my self-righteousness. Uh, we need to lose anything that pulls us away from God and others. And so I would say, is there anything? Is it our phones? Is it our iPads? Is it uh, television? Is it talking too much to certain people? Is it certain ho hobbies? There's um, uh, one couple a while back, um, the wife continued to uh, just stay busy with the kids all the time. Uh, that was her way of escaping and not dealing with the marriage relationship. And, and so what is it, the things that we allow to control us so we really don't focus on the things? So do an inventory or sit down as a couple and just say, is there anything that either one of us does that hinders us from connecting in a, a deeper uh, way? We need to learn to fight. And by that, I don't mean a sword, um, but rather uh, to focus on the real problems. Uh, if you're struggling with communication, yeah, that's an issue, but what's behind it? Um, uh, many times a couple will come in and say, Don, uh, we need some counseling. Can you give us some uh, communication tools? And uh, so I pull out my box, toolbox, and here's some tools. But really, there's a reason deeper why they don't communicate. And it usually comes out of their story. And one husband said not too long ago, he said, Don, I don't want to get into uh, my past and my history. I just want to know how do I communicate with my wife. And uh, he said, that just it stirs up too many stuff and I don't want to go there. And I said, then I can't help you because it's coming from someplace. And we got to be willing to look at that instead of just brush it aside. Um, uh, fight the right enemy, which is Satan. It's not our spouse. Uh, push back against uh, the darkness. Strength, strengthen uh, our convictions. Uh, what are your convictions uh, as far as what you believe and your conviction to your marriage and uh, that God comes first and such? Uh, I would say nowadays people don't have a lot of convictions that I see. They're just so easily influenced by things and their feelings especially. So we need to take courage. Uh, life is, and marriage is difficult. You know, there's, there's battles. We're not the only ones, as we said the other day. The next one I, I want to focus on here is D. Uh, learn to recognize how the enemy works. <clears throat> um, I hope in going through some of the, uh, going through the list and such, you know, how does the enemy attack me or our marriage. Um, if we don't know, um, then you're defenseless because you, you're, you're, not, you're not aware of how you're going to be attacked or are being attacked. I, I, I like the quote here, we need to focus on how our spouse, or, or we tend to focus on how our spouse has not measured up uh, to our expectations. To me, that's a huge one as a marriage. I can get frustrated with Becky so easy because she doesn't do this or that or what I think she should. I will confess as we get older, we find that we fight about things that we have no idea what we're fighting about. Um, we'll, we'll be getting going on something and finally we stop and say, what are you talking about? And we find out we're talking about two different <laughs> things and we're upset that the other one isn't on the same page. Um, and that's just part of getting old, I think. But, um, but I would say, 
I, I think the easiest way to get discouraged is when we have certain expectations of our spouse and they don't come through. What do we do with those disappointments? Uh, one, I think it's wise to just share with our spouse, uh, not in a critical way, but in, in a just, uh, I, I, I want to share how I feel. I, I think what we tend to do is just get angry and yell at our spouse. And I've never seen yelling and getting angry as changing, making things better. Um, in Becky's and my relationship, um, when Becky, so I'm going to share something here, and, but um, I'm not throwing you under the bus here, but halfway maybe. Halfway. <laughs> uh, but when Becky gets upset with me, she tends to just lash out sometimes. And, and I, what I said to Becky is, when you lash out and get angry, I don't hear you anymore. It's just noise. And, and you shut down. And I shut down. And I said, if you, want, if you want me to listen, if you want me to, to really respond and hear you, it helps me much more if you would just say, Don, can I share something with you? And, when, and, and, and so this is what we do now. But um, when I, so she says, Don, can I share something with you? And of course I say, yeah, what is it? Um, there's something mental in my brain that clicks to say, I'm gonna listen. And when it's not yelling, I can, I can honestly listen to her. Um, and, and once in a while, and, I, and what I promise her, Beck, if you'll do that, if you'll say, and, and just share with me how you hurt, I want to hear how you hurt. It's not that I don't want to hear, but I, I want to listen to that, not the, the anger. Um, I, I'm much more better able to uh, hear it and, and so she'll share, uh, here's how I hurt Don, and da-da-da, or you did this and made me whatever. And um, once in a while I'll get defensive and make excuse, and she said, and Becky will say, but you said you would listen. Uh, okay, I'm listening. Um, but, you know, um, it, it's, it's important to find a way to say, how can we share our hurts without it escalating and getting angry or shutting down, walking away uh, in the midst of these things here. But it helps that I, I also know your story. And when, when I do get angry and yell, or my voice raises and you don't like that, it triggers you because your mother was a yeller. And so understanding that, realizing that's not the way you're, mm -hmm. I'm going to get your attention, um, it really is important that we know each other's story. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, the last point there is we harbor negative thinking. Um, if there's negative thinking we're holding on to, we really need to just say, I want to identify that. In the, in the heart and soul class, there's, uh, we talk about what are the four ways of communicating that are destructive to our marriage. And one of them is negative interpretation. In other words, whatever is happening or whatever our spouse is doing or saying, we put a negative spin to it. And what the research shows is that of the four styles that they list, that's the hardest one to break. Because once you begin to put negative interpretation to something, it's really hard to start looking at things differently. 
and putting a different motive to it. You know, he's up to no good, or he did this, or he said that, and, and I, here's what I hear in counseling. Don, did you see what he just said? Uh, I missed it, I guess. What did he say? Well, he really said this. And I said, did you, sir, did you say that? No, I meant this. And it's, it's like, but everything is negative. And um, it's really hard. And if, if you, well, it's really hard in counseling. If you challenge that person who's doing the negative interpretation, then they turn against you in the sense of, oh, Don, now you're starting to believe them and, and you can't even see what they're really doing. And they write me off or we're not coming back for counseling anymore. It's like because they're so set. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just simply saying they're stuck there. And so if we're stuck in some way, we really need to just um, ask God to, to open our eyes to look at things maybe the way he does. Uh, learn to be watchful. Bottom page 31. Uh, be watchful for signs of spiritual warfare. Um, and uh, I'm not going to read the verse there, but we talked about the roaring lion who goes around and we're to be alert and aware uh, that he's there and how he works. On uh, the top of page 32, um, know how to respond uh, when you are attacked or to how to act quickly. In other words, if you know how you usually get attacked, do you have a plan on how I'm going to respond? Most of us just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and I believe we need to really say, okay, I know when I get triggered and I feel incompetent, here's the steps I'm going to take to deal with that versus I'm just going to get mad again or withdraw. Uh, respond quickly and intensely to the first feelings of resentment um, or forgiveness or unforgiveness toward our spouse. In other words, I, I need to be aware of um, how I, I respond so quickly and start changing that. Uh, in Hebrews, it says, uh, no root of bitterness. Uh, may, uh, it says, uh, roots of bitterness defile many. And it says, um, if we hold on to bitterness and kind of get stuck, it, it hurts our marriage. It hurts our spouse and, and the children here. I like this example from Daniel in the book of Daniel. Remember, Daniel was carried into captivity with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And uh, he was chosen as one of the men who would be well treated and he would give wisdom to Nebuchadnezzar. And so the way they did that is they treated these guys, they gave them the best of everything and the best food, wine, thinking, you know, if we take good care of them, then they'll give better service to the the uh, Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar and uh, I one of my favorite verses in the Bible is uh, Daniel 1 8 and in the King James it says uh, and Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with the king's uh, uh, food um, the key word there is it says he purposed that he would not defile himself. In other words, to purpose has, or as NIV uses it, resolve. In other words, he decided something ahead of time. So when the food and wine goes by, he doesn't look at it and say, oh, a little bit wouldn't hurt, or maybe today. Uh, so I, I came up here to the shack. Uh, Becky and I are going to start, a, when we leave the shack, we're going to go back on our diets again. 
But I thought to myself on the way up here, I'm going to cut back a little bit on eating. Because when you walk through the buffet, a little of this, a little of that makes a whole lot of this. And, um, and so I'm going to take smaller portions. But when I get in line, it looks different, you know. And um, uh, those little sausage things I had yesterday morning, I took extra. That meat, those chunks of uh, beef last night, I don't know about you, but those are my favorite here. Uh, they're tender, they're tasty. Uh, put a little gravy with them. And um, uh, so I think I took eight of them last night. So if anybody didn't have any, I had yours and they were good. But, but you know, I told myself, I'm not going to eat so many. I thought about it, but I didn't resolve to say, no, Don, you're only going limit, to limit yourself to seven instead of eight. No, but to less, anyhow. Um, I waited until I got there, and then I decided, and I think that's where we fall short. You caved. I caved. Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, and, and so where is it that you are tempted? Where is it that you're being attacked? And you're saying, I'm coming up with a battle plan, a strategy, in order to say, here's how I'm going to handle it when it happens. And I, I would say a lot of our defeat is really in that area. The next one is... Uh, learn uh, to remember the victories. By this, uh, uh, the, the verse in Deuteronomy, I won't read it all, but it says, uh, only, only be careful and watch yourselves closely that so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them slip from your hearts as long as you live. And so one of the things that the children of Israel did when, when God performed miracles for them, what God would say is remember this and, and set up stones of memory that they would erect, and, it's, and it says that when your children ask, what are these stones for? Tell them what God did as a result of that. Where has God worked in your marriage, worked in your personal life, worked in your family, that you can remember, that helps you remember that God is faithful and he's there? If you're like me, at the moment, it is so powerful, it's amazing. I will never forget this. And six months later, it doesn't even cross my mind. I think it's wise. Uh, we don't do this. I, I do write a few things down. Uh, but I, I used to keep a journal uh, very faithfully. Now it's, I, I type stuff in my computer and this and that and the other. But um, I would write down things that God did. So I could go back when I'm discouraged, when I'm struggling, and remember. And, I, and in between there... When, when God shows me a verse that's really powerful, um, I, I put that in there because I want to go back and refresh those things of uh, who God is and his faithfulness and how he came through for me. And so my question is, where do you write those down? How do you remember those things? How do you pass it down to your kids so that they can see who God is? Um, I, I think we forget, um, and, and evidently God thought it was wise to remind the children of Israel to put up their stones of memory to do that. Did you want to say something? No. Okay. I thought you were getting ready. No. Okay. I was just underlining something. Okay. Um, and I think uh, it's important to share. When's the last time you shared with your children how you accepted Christ and why you accepted Christ and what he means to you? Um, I think we take our Christianity for granted like, 
well, we go to church and they hear about God there. And uh, yeah, we pray at the table and such, so everything must be okay. Uh, do they really know what your convictions are about your walk with the Lord? Uh, I talked to someone about that recently and they said, well, I, I just believe we don't need to show it off and, and that my example will show. No, the Mormons are pretty good, nice people too. But they don't believe in Christ the way I think the Bible teaches. And so my, my point is just being good isn't sending the right message necessarily. The next one is learn, um, learn when to leave it in God's hand. I found this one interesting in doing some studying on something else and I thought it fit here. So what happens is uh, the archangel Michael um, was sent to bury Moses' body when he died. And uh, the devil argued with the angel about the body. And so I'm reading it from the notes here, apparently claiming the right to dispose of it. But Michael, uh, through the, uh, though powerful and authoritative, uh, did not dare dispute with Satan, so he left it, the matter up to, in, in God's hands. What, what, I, what struck me here is sometimes I think the battles are so intense that we don't know how to handle it or, or quite what to do. Can I, can I just say, and I don't mean this in a copying out way, but in a way and say we, we just really got to depend on God to fight this battle for us here. Uh, we, we, we can't. We, we don't know what to do or such. And... and um, I just find it interesting that uh, Michael the Archangel um, doesn't put up a big fight, but he says, I'm going to let God take care of this, um, this battle here that we have. Um, the next one is learn to take your thoughts captive. I like the verse in 2 Corinthians. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready to uh, punish every act of disobedience once... Uh, your obedience is complete. The word captive there means to subdue or to bring into subjection. In other words, I'm going to control um, my thoughts here. And so how do we do that? We do it by getting into the word of God. I am going to saturate. Uh, somebody, at, was it breakfast or it was probably last night. I think last night um, we were sitting with someone and um, uh, this person is here uh, so they'll know the conversation better than me but it's just popping in my mind uh, but the, the conversation was is that you know if you look at the impact of spiritual things it's usually you know we go to church one hour a week uh, have we even opened our Bible during the week but yet we can sit in front of the television for or our iPads or phones or something for four or five hours a day. So which one is having a greater effect on you? The one hour a week or the five hours you spend on the television or phone or something a day? Of course, this over here. And then why is it that we think this way so much? Because we've been influenced. And so um, we, we really got to uh, just say, I got to take my thoughts captive and make sure they align with God. Uh, we need to learn, top of page 33, 
We need to learn to uh, encourage one another. Um, as we talked about putting on the shoes um, of the gospel of peace, and they have the studs there, to hold our ground, to be able to fight together and stay united, um, I, I think we need one another. And most of us, I, I know for the most part, I'm kind of a loner. When I struggle, I grew up alone. Um, some of you have seen the picture. I didn't think to put it in the PowerPoint, but uh, I lived out in the middle of nowhere in the desert in New Mexico. Uh, had three younger sisters and uh, uh, crossed just uh, a few yards away was another couple and they had two older girls. But I was the only boy, so I was pretty much on my own until age 16 when we finally moved to Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, I was pretty much a loner. And I didn't share stuff much with my folks simply because being kind of the legalistic thing. And so I didn't want to, you know, if I struggled with something, it was like, it, this never happened. But my feeling was, if I said, Dad, I'm struggling with this, in my mind, it's like he would be disappointed in me that I, I didn't have it together or he would look at me and say, well, what's wrong with you? So if I can just pretend like everything's cool and just keep it in myself, um, I'll be okay. And, and so it, it, it's a chore for me to be vulnerable. And I think that's why I try probably extra more so in counseling and teaching is I'm, I'm just going to be I'm going to be me. I'm going to be real. This is what the battle is. And um, we need each other. And I think a lot of times we, we've, we struggle in the battle alone instead of asking for help. And I think um, that's where Satan can easily get us. Um, if you've been staying alone during the COVID thing, and you're probably in your home for a few weeks or months or such, and working at home and being alone, that's affected a lot of people where they become more depressed and lonely and so on. And uh, we, we need relationship. I think that's why, uh, you, you know, when someone is put in solitary confinement in prison, it's one of the worst punishments you can do where they have no contact with other humans and they start to go crazy over a number of months or years because we were made for relationship. And... Um, and so do we, do we take advantage of saying, I need help, or would you pray for me? Or um, it, It's so easy to do it on our own. So the verse there, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of struggle. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by deceitful of, uh, since deceitfulness. So there's a danger of being alone. And, uh, yeah, Dan? Yeah, yeah, good point. Which makes me think of an illustration I forgot. But um, another example is um, 
so if 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 there's a herd of sheep, let's say, and one of the sheep kind of stray off from the herd, that one becomes a vulnerable one. That's one the wolf is going to get. Uh, we enjoy watching the History Channel. We just ran across a, a, a new channel. It's not new, but it, it's new to us. The Smithsonian uh, Channel. Man, they have some excellent stuff in there. But they were doing a thing on um, uh, wildlife and across America, and they were doing a thing about Yellowstone and such. And, and they were showing here um, that uh, deer, I forget what kind of, I think it was, uh, so for the sake of illustration, it was deer, and there was a, uh, uh, and maybe it was a, a buffalo, but anyhow, there was a wounded one that kind of got strain, uh, away from the crowd, or the herd, and uh, the wolves came, and they started attacking and picking, and finally got that, and they showed it all in this video thing, and it's just like, a lot of us are wounded, and we're off on the side a little bit. That's when Satan's going to, <clears throat> we got him. Just a matter, we'll pull him down and destroy him. And so we need each other. Um, so let's go to, yes. In, in church, we don't like to share that we struggle. And especially in our marriage, we, we keep it to ourselves typically. And I think that's one of the biggest tools that Satan uses in our church. And you've said it a number of times, we've been wounded in relationship and God uses relationship to heal us. But if we don't, if we don't share, we won't heal. And in my own, in my own marriage, I struggle because I'm going to be healed more when I actually work with Cherith. But because of my tendencies and my story, I often try to just do it on my own. And I'm never going to be fully healed if I don't invite Cherith into that healing. Hmm. And beyond that. God uses the church at large to help me. But if I'm too scared about what the church is going to think about me, I'm not going to fully heal either. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, um, did, did you hear what um, Hal said? Uh, but in the church, uh, if we don't share, uh, we're not going to be healed because we need the body to heal, and especially in the marriage relationship. And it kind of goes with, which I've shared, uh, I think the best place for marriage ministry, you know, there's Bridge to Life, and people come to us for counseling, the classes, but I think the best place to do it is in the local church, because um, there's, there's a body of believers that can come around and pray for you, they can uh, check on you, they can... Uh, it's hard to give up on your marriage when there's people close around you that are, that are saying, we're for you and how can we help you? And they encourage you and pray for you. Uh, it's harder to give up on your marriage versus if you come to Bridge to Life, you know what? Uh, so you make an appointment, come in, and if you don't show up and such, it's like we got two or three people to take your place. And, and, and in the early days of the ministry, we used to follow up and say, how are you doing this and that? It's now it's so busy. I, I don't like the way it is. We don't have a chance to follow up on you like I, I think would be good to do. Uh, because uh, we, right now we got a waiting list, you know, and it's like, um, I think it's good to pursue somebody and such. So it's, it's hard. And what I'm saying is 
that's why we need the body of believers. And that's why, you know, I think in your churches and those of you who are doing marriage ministry, I think you're on the front line where you can follow through and check and uh, we need that. So I'm going to get off on something here. Um, so resources to fight the battle. Go through it quickly here. One is, um, of course, the scripture. And um, uh, reading scripture, uh, Jesus used scripture uh, with Satan. He knew scripture, knew how to use it. Uh, second way is uh, memorize uh, scripture. We gave you the verse packs. I will mention one more thing. Um, there, I just learned about this about two weeks ago, but there is a, uh, a app on your phone to help you with Bible memory. And uh, it's called Bible Memory App. At least that's what it popped up on my phone. Uh, I found out, someone else has told me there's other apps too. But the one that uh, I downloaded that I'm just starting to use it's Bible memory app. And um, what it does is it gives the verse and then it, it kind of changes it like you've got to give the reference um, and then they'll have it where they leave out some of the words so you can fill in those words. In other words, you don't have to memorize the whole thing from blank immediately and, and then they keep taking more and more words out so you can, it makes it easier for some people. Um, here's the problem. For some of us who are getting older, Bible memory is really a lot more difficult for me than it used to be. Um, when, when I was in college and first married, I was memorizing. Uh, I, had, I had a pile of um, verses that would be in my little verse pack. I, I had memorized 165 different verses that I could uh, quote. Now I'm lucky if I could probably memorize, say all of 10 of them, you know, totally correct. But... Um, but here's what I want to say because I was talking with somebody here yesterday and they said well uh, you know it's hard with their memory and such it's hard for mine because I've had 31 surgeries in my lifetime and the mo majority of them have been since 2000 well half of them have been th since 2013 so with the anesthesia it just makes it harder to get your brain going sometimes in fact a few years ago after a few of the surgeries I couldn't remember how to teach the lessons for the class. I couldn't remember my, and I honestly thought, I think my days of teaching are over. Uh, and then I started pulling back out of it again. But it, for those, so what I'm saying, if your excuse is you can't re memorize, then carry the verses around and keep reading them. You know, make them handy, make them available. Uh, then also, uh, so Psalm says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, meditating on scripture. Meditating, uh, the best example I've heard is um, it's like a cow chewing their cud. No, just can't chew and chew and chew and. It means keep going over and over the verse and just internalizing it and meditating on it. And it says he does day and night. Uh, page uh, 34, uh, study the word. I, I think this is where it's wise to take the word a little more seriously. Do some word studies. If, if there's a word that you don't understand, uh, something that you want more, get out your concordance. In the back of your Bibles, for most Bibles, or some Bibles, uh, there's a very small concordance under there that you can look up some words. You know, it's where all that fine print is. And, and look up other verses that use that same word. How was it used? What does it mean? 
Um, and this is a good chance to start getting more used to using the scriptures and studying it. And last, uh, podcasts um, uh, or sermons online, uh, right now media, but there's resources there to help you study other things. See uh, uh, here, alone space. I found it interesting that um, when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives before he goes to the cross, it says this. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. Now, um, well, he's, he says it tells the disciples, pray that you will not uh, fail in temptation. And then he withdrew for, uh, about a stone's throw away and knelt and prayed. But the words that caught me there, as usual. In other words, this isn't the first time Jesus did this. Like, I'm going to the cross, and so I better pray. It was a usual habit that he did. My question is, is there some habit that you can begin to make that will become a, a, a ritual or a place where you say, this is my, my prayer space. Uh, I put a loan space here uh, where you can withdraw and spend time with the Lord and let him speak to you. Uh, if you saw the movie sometime back, uh, The War Room was an excellent example where the woman, you know, the marriage was in trouble, but she took and cleared out one of the closets, and that became her prayer uh, place to uh, really intercede. And so uh, where, where is it convenient to help you do that? Which leads to prayer. Um, I want to say a little bit about this, and it, it can be, so much more can be said. Um, uh, if Marv comes in, um, would, you, would someone please let me know so that? Yeah. Uh, this is about the time. You might have forgotten. Yeah, church, he may have gotten church busy. Well, he said he may not go to church, so he could be here, so okay. we'll see. Um, but uh, let me talk about prayer here for a little bit, because in the passage, it, it emphasizes prayer. Um, I like a definition that uh, Tony Evans gave in the thing that we listened to this morning. And it's, he said this, prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. In other words, we are asking God to intervene on our behalf. Something that he already, he said prayer is not begging God to do something. It's, it's asking God to release what he already wants to do. So there's a good example of that that uh, I put in the notes that I, I didn't make the connection until I heard Tony this morning. But remember the story of Job and his three friends who uh, gave him all the advice about that was not helpful. And in the midst of it, in Job 42, God's expectation for Job was to pray for his friends when they, when, uh, they offered sacrifices to God. And so let me read the verse here and then comment. God says, to, uh, says here, my servant Job will pray for you, this is to the friends, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me, uh, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now here's what's really crazy. 
if God already knows it, why don't you just do it? Why do I need to pray? Okay, because it's like God is saying, Job, um, I don't want to bring judgment to these guys, but I need you to pray that I don't do that. Well, God, you already know it, and you know what you want to do. Just do it. Why do you have to get me involved? And it really fits with what Tony Evans was saying is, is that praying is, um, is, is our earthly... Got to remember how I wrote Earthly that. permission for heavenly intervention. Yeah, earthly permission for heavenly intervention. And he says, this is not... Um, this is what heaven's intended to do. In other words, this is what God wants to do, but we're just requesting God, would you follow through? His comment was this, because God wants us to want him. I and think, to desire him and to have expectation of him. That's yeah. what he wants from us. Yeah. And, and so I think God wants us to have um, the same desires as that he has. And, I, and what Tony Evans talked about is, uh, so you notice it says in the verse there, and we don't have the passage right here in the, in the notes, but it says to pray in the Spirit. And Tony talks about that, and he says, um, what's it mean to pray in the Spirit? And he says it means to pray spiritually. Well, what else is there? But he said there is. He says there's uh, what you call um, uh, fleshly prayer and spiritual prayer. And he said, fleshly prayer is basically where, Lord, thank you for the food, um, you know, protect us, give us a good day, amen. He said, spiritual prayer is where we really connect with God's desires and know God's word and, and share it back and what God is passionate about. When we say prayer at lunchtime or before we go to bed, or it, it's, it's, we, don't, we don't even have to think. We just say it. It comes right out of our mouth. And it's just a short little thing. That is not spiritual prayer, according to Tony Evans. He said that is earthly prayer. It's just words that we say. I'm not saying God doesn't hear those. I'm simply saying, but what God really desires when he says pray in the spirit is connecting with what God's desires are and pleading on behalf. And, and that's where we're asking God to intervene in these situations and empower us in where we struggle. It's a much deeper, passionate understanding of God and, and calling that to be. Um, and so we're not begging um, God to do something, it, it's, we're really asking him, I, I like what, um, see if it's in the notes there, but yes, um, well, we'll come to it, but um, I, I, so I'm going to jump to it, go to page 35, um, what did Jesus do when he was going to the cross, right in the middle of the page it says, pray that God's will will be done. And Jesus says this, Father, if, there, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I think prayer is asking God to fulfill what he already wants to do. I don't think it's wrong for us to take and say, would you heal this person or would you do this or that? But when, I, when it comes to healing, uh, I used to just, you know, if I pray fervently enough and, and hard enough, maybe God will heal this person. What I've, I've changed to is this. God, I want you to be glorified in this situation. And I want your will to be done, whether you take them or, or heal them, whatever. But I want your will to be done. 
I, I think that's what the more important thing is. It's not manipulating God to do something he, he doesn't want to do, but rather God knows what will glorify him and what will bring praise to him. And even Jesus saying that, I'm willing to die if that's what your will is. And so what is God's will in our situation? We need to start thinking his way instead of um, our way here. So um, with uh, that, um, I, I want to talk about uh, prayer, some, some suggestions here for effective praying. Uh, the first one is uh, we need to have a clean heart. I like the verse in Psalms that says, if, we, if I had cherished sin in my heart, that God would not listen. Or as the King James says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so um, I think we have to search our hearts. Just because we pray doesn't mean uh, God hears us. Uh, I'll, I'll give another example. It's not in the notes, but in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, husbands, live with your wife in understanding and if we don't live with them in understanding, it says your prayers will be hindered. So the way that I understand and love Becky affects my spiritual life and my prayer life. And I, I've seen men in church, pastors, who treat their wives horribly but get up there and pray a nice prayer. But the reality is, according to Scripture, God doesn't hear their prayer. It's noise, I think. Because it says how I relate to my wife has a direct effect on my prayer life. And, and honestly, I want to have a good prayer life. So uh, I, I need to pray and ask uh, God cleanse my heart and help me see my sin, my bad attitudes, what, whatever I'm hanging on to. On per page 35, we need to confess our faults. James 5 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. But what does it say? What's, what's involved? Confessing our faults. Um, my my brother-in-law, who just passed away three weeks ago, um, he was artistic and liked to make things. Um, and he made a piece of wood, and he wood-burned into the... Uh, Thing years ago which we have hanging above our bed and it's this verse it says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and uh, that's the foundation of our marriage that we want to confess our faults or our, our how we uh, hurt each other and sin so that we can be healed we can have a healthy marriage and I would say make that a priority we're going to and according to Ephesians uh, 4.27, it says, if we don't, it leaves a foothold for Satan. So it's got to be a priority. The next one is pray a hedge of protection for your marriage. Uh, what does it mean here? And it means that um, if you remember the story of Hosea and Gomer, in Hosea, Hosea was a prophet, and God asked him to marry uh, a prostitute. They have children, and then she goes astray. And she, start, she leaves and uh, goes chasing men. And uh, God uses that example to, to show that the children of Israel have left God and for other gods. And God wants to, uh, to be a picture of how God pursues 
the children of Israel to bring them back, even though they've worshiped other gods. So anyhow, what, Job, or what Hosea does is uh, when his wife leaves, he doesn't say, well, that gives me an excuse to get out of this marriage. I'm going to find a better wife. I'm going to go to church and find one they're a little better there than a prostitute. Um, but uh, what he does is um, he begins to pray for her. And it's important to understand how he prays. He, he praises the hedge of protection there. And, it, um, and, and um, here, here's the one verse. Therefore, behold, I will obstruct her way with thorns. And I will build a stone wall around her so that she cannot find her way, her path. Um, and so what Hosea did is he prayed a hedge of protection around her, and it's two parts. One is she couldn't pursue what would make her happy. In other words, when she tries to find these men to, to uh, make her happy, she, she can't connect with them. Second is, is that men that were pursuing her wouldn't be able to, to take her. And, uh, and so it, it kind of serves as a two-part uh, uh, wall there. And I think it's important to pray um, for our marriages. Lord, would you put a hedge of protection around us that we don't become interested in things that will cause us to, to leave our commitment to the Lord and to our marriage, but also we don't want things to attack our marriage and to uh, do damage. You know, we saw... An example of that very early on when we were working with Dan and Jody, our very first couple we ever worked with, she had gone through her divorce and was uh, away from, from us and from Dan. And you kept working with Dan, and he began to pray this hedge of protection for his marriage, especially for her. And um, probably three or four months later, she showed up on my doorstep, and that's where she said, everything that I had planned... It's not working out. I, can't, I, can't, I have no place to go. The grass isn't greener on the other side. What I knew was that Dan had been praying for her constantly for, to bring her back, bring her to the end of herself, bring her back to God. And God did that. And it was just neat to see. And yeah. she did. She moved in with us. And, you know, the rest is history. She, they remarried and we stood up with them. But... Uh, that was my, one of my first times of seeing that hedge of protection play out so vividly in her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it works, guys. It works. Uh, the next one is um, pray for protection for you and your spouse. It's kind of a, uh, maybe a continuation of that. Uh, pray for God's will to be done. We talked about that, just that we want God's will to be done. Uh, in our lives and in our marriage. Uh, then pray for God to search our hearts and test our motives. Because uh, the scripture says uh, our hearts are uh, um, deceitful above all things and who can know it? And, and we don't often see reality of how we relate and how we treat each other. One of the things that I do, it's been a while since I've done it, but um, when a couple kind of they don't treat each other well, and they kind of snip back and forth and such. Um, and I'll point it out, and they don't seem to get it. Um, I used to do this, but um, I would say at some point I'm going to record, without you knowing it, I'm going to record a counseling session. And then I, I'm going to, 
have you listen to it. Of course, they forget about it after a week or so. And, uh, and so I record it and then, you know, they're going at it again and, and how they cut each other down and they don't listen and, and the anger and such. And, and so I'll, I'll say, by the way, I, I recorded the session today and uh, I want you to hear it. And I am, this is my favorite part, to see their reaction. And they'll say, that's not us. Well, there wasn't anybody else in here, you know, the last hour. Um, and it's like, you hear it differently. You don't realize how you come across with the negative talk or the criticalness or the anger and the tone and such. It's like, what's it like to hear what you're really like? And sometimes I'll say, when, when a couple kinds go back and forth, I'll tell both couples, you know, sometimes when you guys are going at it at home, just turn on your phones. It's very easy. There's an app there that you can record and just record the conversation and then play it back later. Um, I have one couple that is doing that and they use it against each other. Like, he, he recorded me today and it wasn't very nice and you, he shouldn't be able to do that. Well, then stop doing it, you know? I don't know. People are slow. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, yeah, what she said was that um, when we're praying for God's will, it may not be what we want. It may be something painful. Um, you know, and, and along that line, uh, in a sort, um, with, with my health issues, uh, I've just decided, Lord, if you can get more glory out of my health issues, um, it, it keeps me more dependent on God, I'll tell you that. And, uh, you know, and, and people have said to me, Don, is there sin in your life? Maybe that, uh, that's why you're, well, I'll tell you what, if I knew it, the sin, I'd get rid of it really quick because this isn't a, even an issue for me. Um, I don't enjoy it. But, but I've learned to thank God and give him thanks. God, you're in control. You know what? You, I'm trusting you. You're trustworthy in this, and I want your will to be done. I, I like the verse in uh, Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my, uh, my uh, anxious thoughts. See if there be any uh, um, offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, I have it memorized in the King James, and it's NIV here, so I'm having trouble reading it. Uh, but, um, you know, every day I pray that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. So whatever happens today, Lord, search my heart. Lead me. Show me. Uh, I correct my way. Because that, that helps me look at the day differently. When something happens, Lord, you're doing this because I asked you to. So uh, that's important. I want to talk just a moment about fasting. Um, fasting wasn't in uh, the armor of God, but I, I think it's part of it in the sense of with prayer. So uh, I haven't fasted for some time. Uh, years ago, I used to fast somewhat regularly, but um, it's interesting to me that Jesus combined fasting, excuse me, with prayer. And fasting can raise our awareness of our need for God and to hear God. Uh, Moses, Nehemiah, Esther, David, Daniel are just a few of the different ones we have record of fasting. So fasting is a means of emptying ourselves of our self-righteousness in order to make space for God to do his work in our lives. 
So what does that look like? Um, I like, a, there's a book by the name of, uh, by Dan Allender called The Untold Story. And the last chapter in his book has to do with fasting. And that chapter has revolutionized my thinking about fasting. And uh, so I'm taking two sentences as a summary of the book there, or a couple comments here. Fasting is more than not eating food for a period of time. I think some, I used to think uh, in not eating food, I was showing God how spiritual I was and that somehow he would show favor on me because look, I made this sacrifice. That's, that, there's no scriptural basis for that in scripture. But, um, but um, fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders us from experiencing God in a deeper personal uh, way in our, in personally and in our marriage. In other words, I think our phones, um, I don't know what else. Um, I, I think food, there, there's, there's benefits uh, physically, you know, not eating and cleansing our body and such. I think it helps clear our minds a little bit more so we can focus more without uh, all the blood going to our stomach instead of our brain. But, um, but I, I think when, when we empty ourselves of something that we, we kind of, I got to have, it really frees us to look at things differently and uh, things that kind of get in the way of us focusing on God. Fasting awakens us to what really controls our lives and allows us to empty ourselves in the clutter and additions that consume our lives in marriage. Fasting is meant to give us compassion for those who are less fortunate and those who are hurting. Uh, it makes us sensitive to our spouse and to others' needs. And I put the passage in here. We're not going to read it, but uh, I, I want to just make, in Isaiah here, the, the people are fasting, and they think they're doing a pretty cool thing. And God judges them and says, your fasting isn't fasting at all. He says, you're neglecting the poor, the widows, and those who are, who are in need. And uh, rather, it's all about you. And he, he says, fasting is really when, when you take and you give yourself to others. When it comes from a pure heart in that way. My point is this. <clears throat> the reason I put it in here <clears throat> is that I, <clears throat> I, one is I'm absolutely for fasting. And, um, and I, I think it helps us be more sensitive to God, but also it helps clear us of the clutter that we can be more sensitive to God. But I also believe, according to the passage here, that fasting gives us more of a passion that God has for the poor and for others. It makes us more sensitive to what God is concerned about. And if that's not happening, then I think we need to re-examine why we're fasting and what's going on. It's not just something I do like, hey, I, I didn't eat and I fasted all day. No, it, according to the passage here, it, it, it helps us be passionate for the needs of others around us uh, because we begin to think of things the way God does. So I encourage you to, to read the, uh, the verses there. Um, I, I like this picture. I found it... Uh, 
on the internet, but when we're in, when we're praying, we're in the spiritual warfare of evil and, and good here. And so, um, it's just a good visual. Uh, suffering on page 37. Um, suffering uh, allows us to, to uh, as Paul did with the thorn in the flesh, um, it's an opportunity to show God's glory. Like, uh, yeah, do we want the suffering to end? Of course, but if it doesn't, God, then I want you to use it for what will glorify you. I remember this, this story, I can't remember the passage because it's just popping in my mind, but um, the, the little boy who was blind and, and the, the, was it the disciples or Pharisees or someone asked Jesus, he says, uh, well, this boy is blind. Did his parents sin or did he sin or who sinned? And God said, no one sinned. This is for the glory of God. And so there's some things that happen that God says, I can bring glory out of this that um, is good. And so what we saw in the passage with Paul is he said, um, um, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about uh, my weakness so that Christ may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's because it gives an opportunity to, to show God. And so my question simply is, is, what is it that dogs you, that you struggle with continually, that you pray that God takes away, that it isn't going that way? Then God, I want, I, I want this used for you. How can I learn to trust you more? How can I allow you to um, uh, bring good out of this. Um, I, I guess I'll share this. Um, but with, with uh, when I had my motorcycle accident in 1972, I was, I was 21 turning 22 at the time. Um, at the time, they were trying to decide whether to amputate my leg uh, because it was just such a mess. And the, the, the doctor said the only reason I kept my leg is because I went to the KU Medical Center where they do experimental things. And because of that, they experimented and saved my leg. Uh, but when my leg hurts, you know, it, before, I, I used to be angry. My leg hurts. It's not healing. I had bone infection. And if you know staph infection of bone, that's... A big deal, and um, and I, I remember my dad. This is somewhere in that year or so of dealing with a lot of surgeries and in and out of the hospital. He came and said, "You know, Don, uh, you're you're angry. You're and you're taking it out on other people." I was short and snappy with people. I didn't even realize I was. And he says, "I think you're angry with God." And he says, "You need to take a look at that." That's all he said, and that kind of shocked me. Like. Am I angry? Yeah, I, w I was really angry. And um, honestly, here's what I thought. God, why don't you do this to somebody else? I'm a pretty good guy. I don't deserve this. Why don't you do it to somebody who's not so good? Um, but what I learned was this, that um, I'm going to thank God. Because First Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so I'm going to thank God for this. So every time my leg hurts, even to this very day, um, I thank God, thank you for the, my leg hurting because it reminds me that you're intervened in my life and um, 
I believe I would not be doing marriage ministry today if it wasn't for the motorcycle accident. Uh, no, Becky and I have not gone through any horrible marriage problems other than canoeing. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I know what it means to hurt. I know what it means to, do you want to live or not? Is my battery starting to go? Or does it sound okay? Um, and, uh, and so I just, I thank God. God, thank you for loving me enough to, to do this. And I will accept this. So, as you know, I've been struggling. This last week's really been difficult uh, for my leg. And uh, I don't know if I have a hernia or pulled groin muscle, but um, anyhow, it, it's, it's really painful. Um, so yesterday, uh, Wednesday, Friday morning, the day or thing, uh, I had to check up with the surgeon in Grand Rapids. And we explained, he says, well, let's give it six more weeks and da-da-da, a couple things. And uh, as we're walking out, in comes a lady down the hallway. She's probably in her mid-60s. Do you remember seeing her? And uh, she's on crutches, and I look down, and she's missing a leg. It was amputated somewhere above her knee. Um, and, and first, I, I didn't notice because she has a long, she has like slacks, dress slacks on, and it goes down to her foot, but there's no shoe, no foot there. And it just hit me, here I'm in there, I wouldn't say I was complaining, but, you know, doc, do something about this pain in right here that, that I, I can't lift this leg. Becky has to help me lift it into bed. And, and then I see that lady as I'm walking out who has no leg. She's on crutches and she's coming in. So I think it probably happened recently. And um, I just said, Lord, help me get this in the right perspective. Um, man, it, it's amazing how we get so self-consumed with our little woes until we see somebody else, what they're going through. And then I can say, Lord, thank you for my pain in my leg. I got a leg. Uh, but I, I think we, we have to begin to say, Lord, the suffering that I have, I, I don't want it to be wasted. I don't want your marriage to be wasted. I don't want our marriage to be wasted. If we have some pain, then I'm going to make the best out of the pain and we're going to use it for the glory of God. I've said this before, but I think the greatest sadness is when we go through it and it's not used for anything. So um, the next one here, strongholds. Uh, what are, are there strongholds? I'm not going to read the verse because I, I want to get to a couple things here. Um, but um, it, it says that, um, on the contrary, they are divine uh, power to demolish strongholds. They demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so uh, the, the, the spiritual warfare here, the armor, can be used to tear down the stronghold. So my question simply is, is there a stronghold in your marriage or in your life that you battle with? Um, I believe that, and we don't have time to get into strongholds except to say that um, the power is there to do that. And then... Um, the last one here is, remember, we are more than conquerors. Um, no, in all things, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither life nor, uh, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future or any, uh, any power, neither the heights or the depths or any other else in all creation, 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there's nothing that can uh, separate us from God's love. Uh, if you go to um, Right Now Media, and I encourage you to sign up for that if you like, but uh, if you like Charles Stanley, he has a whole lot of stuff on there. And he does a study on Romans chapter 8. And he talks about this, uh, this verse here. But one of the things he says is that, and so I'm summarizing it here, but he says, he says that uh, no matter what we go through, uh, nothing can separate us from God's love. And in fact, the verses go on, and I think in, in verse 24, 26, that even the things that Satan tried to do, God takes and changes it to empower and show off God more. So whatever tries, Satan tries to do is flaunted in the sense that God changes it to say, but I'm going to get the glory out of it. Nothing uh, can, t can take away God's love for us. Uh, if anything, I think those things show more God's love for us. And was so... That, was that Charles Stanley or Piper? Oh, Piper. John Piper. Piper. John Piper. Yeah, thank you. Uh, excellent stuff there. A whole lot of stuff with John Piper. Thanks. Um, so I, I want to end uh, this part with a story. Um, if you're familiar with this, um, this is Auschwitz uh, in Poland. It, during World War II, um, the Nazis tried to um, get rid of the Jews and others. Um, that they thought were inferior. And uh, on two occasions in our ministry going to uh, Czech Republic in Poland um, uh, over the years, um, on two occasions I had, and Becky went with me on one of those, but um, visited Auschwitz. And if you've been there, it's very sobering just to see uh, how the people were treated worse than cattle and what they went through. I, I just, last night, I, I thought of the story yesterday as I'm thinking about teaching today. And so I just went to, um, and I'll show you a man's name. And then it, it talked about his life and uh, being in the concentration camp in Auschwitz and just showed a picture of the people suffering and being experimented on and, and it just sad pictures. But, um, but anyhow, as you walk through it, you, you just see the realities of what happened. And so there's a story in the midst of all that. There was a, have any of you heard the story of Father Colby? Does that name ring a bell to you? Okay, so you're gonna find out. Um, Father Colby was a Polish priest and uh, he uh, had the opportunity to, um, by the Nazis, to not be punished or anything to be held against him. He wouldn't sign that. He wanted to minister to the people and he would uh, help hide Jews so they wouldn't be taken off to the concentration camp. And because of his work to uh, help save many lives, he was found out by the Jews, or the Nazis, and he was taken to Auschwitz. And as he was there, he continued to minister. He, he was a, a priest and ministered to the people that uh, were there. 
and they found encouragement to that. But he, because of that, he was very mistreated in the prison. Uh, it says that he was beaten and lashed quite often. On one occasion, they had to secretly get him to uh, the hospital there in the prison to be, treat, to be treated. And so he experienced a lot of suffering. And one of the things that happened is uh, in the concentration camp, they, they would take uh, some of the healthier people and they would work the farms around the prison. In other words, to get food to feed, feed people. And so uh, people would be released out uh, to work. And then at the end of the day, they would come. There's a certain place where as soon as you go inside this gate uh, and right to the right, there's a place that's set aside where the, when they would come in from work, they would line up and they would be counted to make sure nobody escaped. And uh, so when you go through the guide, they explain all this, or the guide does. Anyhow, on one occasion, uh, one of the prisoners uh, escaped and didn't come back with the group at the end of the day. And so to make their point so that it would scare no one to want to escape, uh, what they would do is they would kill like 10 people in place of the one who for the one who escaped. So on this one occasion, um, this one person escapes, they don't come back, and they go through the line and they just say, you know, and pick peop uh, guys randomly and that you're going to be starved to death uh, in place of the one who escaped uh, to pay the punishment to scare people. And so as they picked the 10 and they took this one guy, and I'll just say Hal, and as they put him up here in the line, to be taken off, he cries out and he says, my wife and my children. And uh, Father Colby heard that and he stepped forward and he said to the, the Nazis, he says, I wanna take that man's place so he can be with his family. And so they let him trade places. They took him, so here's Father Colby. Um, as you go through the tour of Auschwitz, you will come to a, 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 like a, a lower, a, like a basement, but it's a lower place there. The ground, you see the window there, that's the ground level. And uh, it's, it's about eight by eight in there, it probably most. And they take and they put the 10 men in there and uh, to starve to death. And so as the weeks go by, the men begin to become very weak and they begin to die. There's Jews that would clean the jail or prison area there and such. And as they would go by this cell, uh, they said that uh, usually Father Colby would be in the center of it on his knees praying. He would all... He would encourage the guys and sing hymns and he'd have them singing hymns and continually they were worshiping God as they slowly died. And they would come in and drag a body out day after day until it came down to the end. It was only Father Colby. And it was taken too long for him to die. And so the commander of the uh, Auschwitz said, let's just kill him we need the space and the story goes you can read this on the internet 
that they came in with a doctor and they, uh, they uh, were going to poison him by giving him an injection of carbolic uh, acid into his veins to kill him. And they said that when they came in and were preparing the needle, he held his arm out for them to inject him, which they did, and a few moments later, he died. I would like to be like Father Colby, who cared more about ministering to other people than about himself. He was willing to sacrifice himself. We're so selfish. We, we don't have an eternal perspective. We don't even take seriously the armor of God other than, it's nice, can I show you off my sword again, you know? Um, I, I don't think we grasp the spiritual warfare that we're in um, to make a difference in just a few people's lives. And, and Father Colby was passionate about ministering to people even to the point of volunteering to give his own life. And I don't know if I would do that. You know, I'm for cutting off my head, but I'm not for suffering for a few weeks. You know, that one I'll check out. Uh, but that story has, uh, you know, when I, when I went there and, and I've taken pictures of that uh, uh, cell there and it's, it's, they commemorate him uh, for what he did, but... Um, He's, he, to me, he's one of the heroes that I want to follow. He's one of the ones that I want to make a difference. And as we bring this all together, um, I, I just thought, what is the message we want to walk away with? And that, yes, we're in a spiritual warfare, and we have been equipped, but are we going to start using it? Are, are we going to put some of this to work, or are we just going to go home and just say, um, oh, that was nice. My fear is you're going to forget, something. You're going to forget all of this. And do nothing. Nothing's going to change. And we're, we're still in a spiritual warfare. We can't be lukewarm. We can't just get by anymore. The day's too important. Your families are being attacked. Your kids, your grandkids. Our grandkids are being attacked. I'm worried about my grandkids. Uh, one of the things, uh, I shared this two weeks ago, but I'll uh, share it with you, is uh, my, my son, Chad, our oldest son, said, Dad, it would be nice if you would start to write down things that God has taught you so we can pass it down to, uh, you know, not only us kids, but our grandkids. They can know what God meant to you. And so I'm starting to take and put verses and thoughts and things that God has taught me together so that um, they can know God from what I've experienced. I I want them to have some strength because they're going to need it. Um, and, and so, uh, what are we passing down uh, in the message? And so, uh, I, I just share this. And, uh, we need to be alert. We need to be watching for the enemy. And we need to be taking action. And we need to um, know that victory, that the strongholds can be destroyed and we can make a difference. And so, as we bring things to an end here... Um, my desire is is that um, our eyes are opened as we talked about in the first session where Elisha prayed for his servant that his eyes would be opened and he would see it. 
And I pray that this weekend your eyes have been opened just a little bit. You've been listening to the 2021 Couples Getaway with the theme this year, Putting on the Armor of God in Your Marriage. If you'd like more information, you can go to the website of Bridge to Life. It is www.bridgetolife.org. Or you can call them at 616-846-1051. I'm Mark Moore for Bridge to Life.